If Advent is a season of waiting, you may have noticed the title for this sermon series, While We Are Waiting. Just what sort of waiting is this anyway? It's often the artists among us that help us to see or help us to hear. I have a great appreciation for the arts. I don't know any of you share that. Most of you maybe share that. A great appreciation for the arts. So thankful for Tara's gift in inviting us into the presence of God um, with music and the gift of the arts, the vocal arts. So I thought we'd listen. Listen. This would be a fun way to kind of enter into our time together around God's Word. I wonder if I play a few bars of a song, would you recognize it? So, for example, here's, here's one. We're just going to hear, you're just going to hear the first part, about six seconds. So if you guys would play that for us, we'll see if we can make this work. I see trees of green. Okay. Applause. That's good, thank you. That was, uh, that was not quite the intro. You actually got the vocal there, but do you recognize that? Do you, instant recognition for some of you? What was the song? What a Wonderful World. Uh, and who was the artist? Louis Armstrong. You know this. I love that song, don't you? It's a wonderful world. I think to myself, for all these things, this, this great nostalgia, this thinking about the gift of the world and of life and how love that we share between each other makes it more meaningful. It's a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world, Louis Armstrong sings. But we're listening to John. Did you notice in the reading? We're listening for John. And so I have another one for you. What about this one? This again, about the first maybe, maybe 10 seconds, maybe not quite. You guys cue that one. Some of you know that one? Okay, what's that song? There you go. By John, not John the Baptist. That was not performed by John the Baptist, but John Mayer performed that one. And I like that one too. You're, you might pick up on the theme here. I'm, I'm teasing uh, a little bit. Mayer sings, now we sing, see everything that's gone wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just don't feel like we have the means to rise above and beat it, so we keep waiting. So we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. It's a season of waiting. But maybe it's not the sitting around twiddling your thumbs or uh, fidgeting on your iPhone with uh, social media kind of waiting complaining, unproductively engaging. Maybe it's not that kind of waiting. Maybe it's more like the John the Baptist, make the world ready for God kind of waiting. That's a different kind of waiting. And that's big work, this season of waiting. It's big work, this making the world ready kind of work. It's little wonder that the church stops not just For December 25th, have you noticed? Not just for December 25th, but that the church stops for a whole season, a whole four weeks, really, of 
of recognizing, embracing, building this uh, anticipation, turning ourselves more fully to this work that God has set in motion that's unfolding in front of us. It's big work making the world and ourselves ready for God. It's big work. I can't think of work much bigger. So look at John. He's not just the forerunner of Jesus. He's out there breaking up hard ground. Or to use the road building metaphor, he's blasting through obstacles with explosives dynamically. And sometimes he's not very careful, but he's cutting a path. He's making a way, John is, and it's big work that he takes up. I mean, just look at him. Not here in Luke, but in Matthew. Matthew describes John um, in his attire. He is one who's dressed conspicuously camel's hair and a leather belt and he eats locusts and wild honey. He looks like Elijah. He sounds like Isaiah or Amos. The point here is that he is the embodiment of prophetic witness. He stands in the history and the tradition of the prophets who've come before, who stand uh, outside the center speaking to the center who are inviting those um, in positions of power and those uh, positions of low estate to imagine a different world. He's speaking over against as a prophetic voice. And not only look at John, but look where we find him. Look around. Where is John? John's in the wilderness in Judea. He's off the beaten path. He's outside the centers of influence. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness because that's where God always seems to be working. From the wilderness back. From the wilderness back. Forging new life in the wilderness. We could remember story after story of how the origins of God's life and the origins of life among the people of God happened from the wilderness or from the valley, like that one filled with dry bones. God's always working out there in that way. And, and look not only at how John's appearance or where John's located, but listen to what he's saying. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. He's saying, he's describing a world where every valley is filled in and every mountain is brought low. Isn't that a curious description of the world? Think about that for a moment. Every valley filled in, every mountain brought low, every place lacking, every place with abundance or advantage brought together. That's the world he's describing. He's describing a world where all of the crooked places, and we could look around us if we wanted to take some time, and we could point our fingers at all of the crooked places that exist in the world around us, and then if we got honest enough, we could look around and say, you know what, I'm a pretty complicated, messed up person too, and there's a lot of that crooked stuff going on in me as well. Every crooked place made straight, every rough place 
made smooth. Now, I know some of you think that if you just keep working at it, after 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of marriage, you'll finally get all the rough places smoothed out. This is God's great design. This is the world that John describes. It is the picture, the description of God's shalom. That's the word for it. That because of who God is, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is drawing all things. He created all things and is drawing all things together again. This is what we mean by the peace of God. This is what it means when the church gathers to express and extend God's peace and to pray for God's peace. When we take a moment to call the names of those who are not well, we are leaning into this desire for God's peace and God's healing. When we take a moment to celebrate the ways that God has manifested healing in the lives of those who are sick from disease or virus or infection, we are leaning into this desire for God's shalom, God's peace, God's healing, God's wholeness. When we see um, relationships that are stressed and pulled in different directions, and we experience God restoring relationship, we are leaning into this desire, this vision of the world that says that in the coming of God in Jesus Christ and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, the shalom of God is breaking in among us, descending, filling all things. Prepare the way of the Lord for this. That's big work. And if we're waiting on that, I'm telling you, it's not a sit around, twiddle your thumbs, and hope for the best kind of waiting. It's John's kind of waiting, which says, I will step out into these places, these places of desolation and brokenness, and I will, pro I will proclaim a word and embody a word that says God's up to something. The peace of God is coming. It's big work. Can you imagine a world like this? Like the one that John is pointing us towards. Frankly, sometimes I think it's hard. Isn't it? There is so much fractured around us. It almost seems as if the very social structures upon which we have come to rely and have built uh, a life around, and our ideas about um, success, and our ideas about what is best and how we assign value to ourselves and to others, the very social structures and fabrics around us are beginning to shake, fracture. And within us, I don't know if you're paying attention to this, but um, the rise in the recognition that in terms of our mental health in the midst of a pandemic that's wreaking havoc on our physical health and all the other stressors that are happening as the social structures are fractured, that the rise in the incidence of, of mental health instability, that people are not well in their emotional and psychological uh, and I would say spiritual well-being, that there's the fracture even within us. Um, I don't know how you think about what addiction is, but I'll tell you what I think about what addiction is. I think addiction is a way um, that we attempt to 
um, self-medicate ourselves so that we can find some kind of stability, and it comes in lots of forms. The chemicals that we induce in what we ingest alter our mental state in ways that we're seeking to find, I would suggest to you, some kind of inner peace. There's a deep pain and brokenness within us that we're trying to deal with. And even those choices that we make, if it's not a substance that we take into our body, the choices that we make that trigger chemicals that our bodies produces internally is a way that deep within our humanity, our, our um, psychosomatic is the word I'm looking for. It's just a big word that says that our emotions and our psyche are tied to what happens in our bodies. We are trying to find this place to mend the broken places. Are you with me? It's difficult to imagine a world unless you just say, oh, it's in the sweet by and by. Maybe we'll experience something like this. In the sweet by and by. But that's not what John believes. John believes that the peace of God, that the world that God imagines, is actually coming towards us, breaking in among us, that if we have eyes to see it and embrace it, we too can participate in that world of God's great shalom. In fact, not only receive it and participate in it, but we should be actively birthing this shalom, this peace into the world. How can John see a world like that? Maybe it's because he's Zachariah and Elizabeth's boy. You realize that, right? This John out in the wilderness, camel's hair, leather belt, eating locusts and wild honey, in the prophetic tradition, is the child of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who back in Luke chapter 1, were in the temple of the Lord when the angel came. Right? Don't miss that connection. Remember the story? It's Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are very old in age, and Zechariah is serving as a priest in the house of God, and he's selected by lot to be the one to go into the most holy place for the offering of the sacrifices, and it's there that he receives this announcement that the long-awaited one, the one that they've been waiting on, waiting for the world to change through the Messiah, this one is now come, is coming. It's Zechariah and Elizabeth who then are given the gift of the child John in the temple. It's Zechariah who says, uh, Oh Lord, you can now dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. And maybe it's because, Zachariah, because John the Baptist, the one that we call John the Baptist, grew up singing Mary's song. It must have been a musical household. How many of you are from musical households? I have friends from musical households where they just learn to take it up, to take up the songs. Mary's song, the music of John's youth, he knew this song because Mary's song announces a new world, a new ordering of things. Listen to what Mary sings. I'm going to share with you again. If you have your Bible, this is Luke 1. 
Mary's song. Mary sings things like this. This is verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly ones. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Did you hear that? He has scattered the proud, brought down the powerful, lifted the lowly. Now, what does that sound like? Someone tell me. I tried to, do, I tried to give you a cue by my hand gestures. Yes, every valley filled in, every high place brought low. When John is in the wilderness proclaiming Isaiah, he's singing Mary's song. He's singing Mary's song. This is about a vision of the world where the divisions of people by what they have or what they don't have go away. It's not that possessions go away or money goes away. It's that the relationship of people, that in the, in the, in the world that, of God's shalom that John envisions, that people flourish together. He has brought down the powerful and he's lifted up the lowly and he's filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. For those of us who experience the gift and the blessing of great prosperity, we should listen closely. This is the world that God envisions. Where our participation in the movement of God in the world is to ensure that all who have need get our attention. Listen to Mary's song. He says things like this. This is verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to Abraham. What was the promise he made to Abraham? What was the promise he made to Abraham? That he'll bless them, that they'll, they'll be prosperous and multiply, and he'll make a people of Abraham's descendants. But for what? Why? Just so Abraham can feel good about his future? Why? Why did God make a people then? Why does God make a people now to be his people? So that they might what? Bless the world. They might bless the world. It picks up this notion. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That God would bless and draw all people together in the end from every tribe and language and people and nation and make them priests to serve our God, that these distinctions on the basis of nationality or of different cultures or races or ethnicities melt away. It doesn't mean that they go away. It means that they no longer divide people. This is the world of shalom that John envisions. This is the world of God's great shalom. We care about all those ways that people feel excluded, disenfranchised, powerless, 
because they are different than us. We care. We see them. And we, if we are like John, stand as prophetic witness to God's desire for a world where those kind of divisions no longer keep people apart. This is the world that John describes because he's heard Mary's song and he takes it up as his own. Listen to the song that Mary sings. I'm just going to read a little more from Luke 1. This is verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is Mary who's singing. In the world that Jesus brings, the world of God's shalom, of God's peace, Guess what? Mary can sing. Mary has voice. I'm telling you, in the world that Mary existed in, in the time that she existed in, Mary and others like her had no voice. But in the world that God desires, Mary has voice. Women have voice. They have place among the people of God. And for all those ways throughout the long history of patriarchy, that women have been alienated and excluded, even among God's own people, we envision a different world. John envisions a different world. God's shalom calls for a different world. Look, listen to Mary's song. In, in the world of God's peace, we are preparing a way for that world where what you have and what you don't have doesn't keep us apart. The way of ordering the world and social interactions and the ability for people to thrive where wealth is amassed and others, that world goes away. In a world where people are divided on the basis of their skin color or their culture or their nationality, that world goes away. God does not bless one nation to the exclusion of others. He blesses all people and in the end gathers them all up. In the world that God desires, that Mary sings and John proclaims, and that he's inviting us to participate in, of God's shalom. Mary and the daughters of Mary, all of them have a place and have a voice, if nowhere else, especially among the people of God. Listen to Mary sing. Listen to the world that John describes where every valley and every broken place is mended. And if I had time to go on preaching like some preachers that preach 45 minutes, not this one, you're welcome. We could stop and for every one of these things that John describes here, 
we could begin to tell the stories from the life of Jesus, not just what he said, but what he did that demonstrates that world of God's peace, of God's shalom, right? Did Jesus care that as he moved through life and interacted with others, even in the midst of his teaching and preaching, did Jesus care that people around him were hungry? Did he feed them? How many stories are there? How many stories are there that cut right through this notion that, boy, there might not be enough, so we don't need to get crazy with this feeding people business, right? We could tell story after story after story. We could tell stories about how not only does Jesus feed people, but how Jesus was provided for and fed himself. That there's this powerful experience of God's shalom around a table where we're caring and serving and providing for one another mutually, right? We could tell stories. We could tell stories from the life of Jesus about all those ways that the racial and ethnic distinctions of the world in which he lived and moved did not define him or define the kingdom that he proclaimed and ushered in. He chose to go through Samaria, not around it. Right? He chose to eat with the Gentiles, right? We could tell stories. See, this is a clever preaching technique where I told you that I'm not going to tell stories and then I'm telling them. Did you catch that? We could tell stories about how Jesus in shocking ways, interacted with and empowered women. Because it was a signpost of the shalom of God, of the peace of God, of the kingdom of God come near. Look, what are the things we should care about in this season of waiting? This active, I'm going to use this word sort of, um, Uneasy waiting that's longing for, anticipating for something. We choose to care about the things that matter most. And I would suggest to you that when Mary sings these things and John preaches them, and then we see Jesus go and live them out, that these are pretty important signposts of the God of peace. So may the God of peace, who was announced and declared in Mary's song, and proclaimed by that wild, crazy-eyed-looking prophet in the wilderness named John. May the God of peace who made himself fully known and fully appeared in the person of Jesus. May the God of peace who yet remains and abides among us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whom Jesus himself breathed upon his disciples and said, receive my spirit, receive my peace. May the God of, God, uh, of great shalom be among us and bless us as we rise from this place, as we wait in anticipation, as we gather around this table. Let us pray. God, may your peace come among us and may it fill every low place and, and, res, and restore um, us to relationship with you and relationship with each other. 
Help us to receive your peace. Extend your peace. Be about your peace and your healing, your reconciliation in the world. God of all peace, come among us now. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.